Rival affections. Ahab had other wives, of course. They didn't trouble me too much, as he seemed as inept with them as he was with me, and I was the one invested with the official title of queen. There was one I worried about, though, a Judean girl, one in the royal line of Jehoshaphat, her hair a silky jet black, with deep dark eyes to match, a long graceful neck, skin as smooth as alabaster. Hers was a beauty that crept up on you and lingered when it found you, her very modesty a beacon to desire, whereas the lust I inflamed at court could not be maintained without frequent stimulation of a man's senses, whether by subtly letting my clothing brush his skin, flashing my eyes, moistening my lips, or leaning forward to show some extra cleavage. At first I hoped I would upstage my rival thus. Her breasts were but little buds compared to mine, but alas there was no comfort there either. Let's face it, some men like flat-chested women, and Ahab must have been one of them. I suppose it conjures the idea they are making love to some prepubescent virgin rather than a fully grown woman. And small as this girl's were, they were yet pert and appealing. Worse yet, she was as charming as she was beautiful, witty and charismatic, so courteous to me and so utterly inoffensive, even treating me with a sisterly affection, that I despised her with every fibre of my being. Somehow, though she had not a mean bone in her, she was utterly bewitching. There were times even I wanted her, my lust vying with hatred in equal measure. I could tell Ahab was head over heels for her, and I mean that not just in a metaphorical sense but a physical one. During one of my routine searches through Ahab's papers and effects, part of a queen's due diligence, you understand, I found some secret texts on the erotic arts, along with illustrations showing the various contortions the beast with two backs could achieve. Well, my darlings, I can tell you he wasn't practicing any of this on me. Of course I was used to Ahab's nighttime absences as he toured the palace between his various paramours. He would return from them as dull and oafish as when he left, leading me to conclude his attentions to them were as perfunctory as those he paid to me. But when he came back from her chambers, oh, he positively glowed with satisfaction. He radiated joy, a dreamy far-off look in his eye, an impregnable aura of peace and tranquility. She too bore a son to Ahab not long after my Ahaziah. Over the years as the two boys grew up, it became apparent that her bastard child was endowed with the wit and wisdom of his fair mother, the poetry and music of a David, the sophistication of a Solomon. My hopes that our own boy would bear at least some vestige of my Phoenician nobility were bitterly disappointed. He was a dolt by comparison, dim-witted, crude of speech, and dismally alike to his father in both appearance and mannerism. Probably the only skill in which my dear Ahaziah excelled was cheating at games, which his younger half-brother accepted with good grace and not a murmur of protest, making my boy's base behaviour all the more glaring. Over time, the growing contrast became acutely embarrassing. I knew it would not be long before whispers at court favoured the bastard child over mine, perhaps even getting Ahaziah deposed. Not that either the boy or his mother showed any inclination to take power for themselves, but that might not stop others from installing him anyway. I had to act quickly, 
Get rid of them both, mother and son.'